It's really footy time with Daniel Andrews. And of course, I'm joined by Johnny Raff. How's it going, Johnny? Oh, all set for the round ahead. It's going to be a great one. And to go with that round, we've got a couple of tips for you guys. So let's start with Raff's Reach. Yes, Raff's Reach is going to be the segment where we come up with the best underdog of the week. And um, if a few of you fancy a bet, which we're not going to be going too much into because we don't, we're not promoting any of that, but uh, you will tune into this segment because there could be some good value there. But the one for this week I've gone with is Carlton over West Coast. Now, I don't know if they've announced where this game's going to be. I'm fairly sure it'll be Sydney, but I think this is a really good chance for the Blues because they've now got uh, a nice run out in Sydney against the Swans. They weren't bad, actually, at the start of that game. Um, and one thing I've noticed is they usually are always in the game until about the third quarter. West Coast, we know how West Coast travel, and uh, it's going to take a lot for them to sort of reverse that narrative. Absolutely. I think I've, got is... a great, I've got a great stat for you on West Coast. just popped into my head. I saw this. So West Coast... Uh, the worst team in the league in last quarters, and Ooh. they've scored. Is it, so they've lost the most last quarters, so won the least, and they've also scored the least in last quarters out of everyone for the whole season. Wow! So they're a fade out team. Yeah. So sorry, I interrupted Jeez. you there. <laughs> no, no, that's that's in, that, I did not know that. That is very interesting. Backs up your and team. <laughs> that's definitely not going to help them if Carlton are in the game because I think. I think they will push. They'll really push this to the you know, the fourth quarter, and yeah, I am going for Carlton to win it. Cool. Well, that's an interesting addition for Rass Reach, and for what it's worth, I think Carlton's got a very good chance in that game as well. So thanks for that, Johnny. No problems. So we'll move to my side of things, which is probably, in theory, the easier side, which is uh, the <laughs> lock of the week. So the most likely winner out of all the favourites, I suppose. So I just thought I'd tell a quick story on this. So some of you guys might be familiar with ESPN footy tipping, and there's actually a function in it called streak. So basically what you have to do is have the longest continuous streak without getting a tip wrong. So I was actually doing this last year for... Well, the year, because that's what you do your footy tips for. <laughs> but I actually managed to get, I think it was either like 22 or 25 in a row. And I was like up in the top 1%. But then I saw wow. I saw I was actually slipping back because I guess I was being more, I wasn't slipping back, I was still in the top 1%, but I couldn't gain ground on the people above me because I was being too conservative. So yes. one round I tried to go for a couple of tips that were, slightly less bankable than I normally would. And it was actually Adelaide Hawthorne on the Friday night. And at, that was, at that point, Adelaide were actually winless. So I was oh. banking on Hawthorne uh, to win that game to keep my streak alive. And unfortunately, they did not. Probably good overall because Adelaide needed the win. But yeah, that was a very dangerous thing to do, banking on Hawthorne winning that game <laughs> and ruining my streak. But uh, It's a very dangerous thing to bank on Hawthorne in general. Yeah, so I really didn't feel yeah. good about doing that at the time, trying to catch up, but uh, I guess that shows that maybe there is some stock in this lock of the week prediction, but I guess the real stock um, will be if I can get a couple of them right. 
just quickly, uh, that so that streak thing is it just consecutive tips, um, starting from whenever yeah, the yeah. first so one happens? Just say yeah. say from round one, you get to choose however many of the games in each round to tip on. No, you know, there's no maximum, no minimum. So as soon as you get one wrong, your score resets to zero. Oh, okay. So I was basically you... taking somewhere between sort of one and three games each week, and over the course of you know half a season, I built up my sort of twenty-two to twenty-five streak. And you do this in addition to your regular tips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah, like, right. There's, there's like three things. There's like uh, I don't know what the other one's called, but it's like a sort of a betting function where you have like a hundred points to spread out across the games, and then there's just the normal tipping. Oh, is that that flexi one? Yeah, yeah, flexi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to check that out. But anyway, back to the yeah. lock. Okay. So after that long-winded introduction, <laughs> <laughs> my lock of the week is Adelaide over Collingwood. So first of all, the game should still be played in South Australia because they're not engulfed in another lockdown like we are here in Melbourne. And Adelaide have actually looked really good over the last couple of weeks. And even before that, when they weren't winning, they were building. Their pressure's been up. They can score, and that's two things that really can't be said for Collingwood at the moment. So, obviously, on the weekend, only kicking, I think, five goals, and uh, yeah, just really not a lot to like about what's happening with Collingwood at the moment. And uh, I just think the scoring power and the pressure of Adelaide is quite bankable. And looking at this round, there's actually a lot of quite interesting games, so it's actually not the easiest task to find this lock. Normally, it's a little easier than this. No, I agree. And uh, even looking at um, uh, Sydney against St Kilda, I don't know why, but there's there's something about that that just uh, you think Sydney will will get the job done, but I just can't. I don't know. I can't see it as a lock. I think that it'd be an interesting one. That one, I I would agree. Actually, though, I think Adelaide playing some really good footy. It's a great brand of footy to watch, and and it's a proven brand of footy to get success as well. It must be said. I think that they'll get that job done as well. Excellent. So we agree on these. So I guess we'll just check in <laughs> in the next It's Really <laughs> Footy Time episode um, to see how we did on these. But uh, yeah, just a little bit of fun. So I guess the core of what we're doing in this episode is really some true or false. So we've got a couple that are kind of current and one that is a bit of a throwback to uh, the 90s in this case. So we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's kick it off with the first true or false. So, struggling teams that have a lot of young players should be given more leeway. True or false, Johnny? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say false. Uh, I think that, well, if you've got a lot of young players, yeah, look, you probably should have a little bit of leeway, but I, I don't think it's as it's not good enough to say that a rebuilding side has a few good youngsters. I mean, it depends obviously how many good potential youngsters you have. But I find I hear quite a lot that um, if a team's struggling, say like a Collingwood or a a Gold Coast, obviously, but Gold Coast got a nice win over the weekend uh, last weekend. But um, I find that I hear a lot. Oh, geez, they're a terrible team, but they've got some good youngsters. The, th- the thing is, it can vary between a club having two or three good youngsters 
and five good youngsters. I, I think every club has got two or three good youngsters. It's the ones that have these, you know, the ones that are going to win you your next premiership is what you're looking for. But I think there's also a few other things in there. I think you've got to have a game style that's going to, you know, at least at least show that you're developing a game style. You're working on one part of it first and, you know, there's a plan in place and the members can see what, you know, what you're trying to achieve. I think that, so, yeah, I don't think, I think it's fair to judge these teams harshly when, right. when they're not performing. So going false for that one then? Yeah, yeah, I'd say false. I think it's interesting in the AFL because I think there is more leeway given to the lower-ranked teams in general compared to some other sports. You know, especially going back through sort of the early 2000s and 2010s, there was, you know, the five-year plan and, you know all this sort of stuff, and both coaches and teams were given a long time to develop. And I guess what you've seen over this period is there's some teams that have gone through like three or four rebuilds without ever really even getting to like a prelim final. So Mm. I guess just this watering down of expectations, I don't really think it's helping anyone. And uh, as you were saying there, it is important to be developing the game plan even when you are struggling a bit. And, like, you even saw that with, like, the Hawthorne side of the early 2000s. They were getting smacked around. Yep. And I used to uh, give my Hawthorne mate so much grief about it. But because at that time, Melbourne was actually okay. We were bad. Yeah. So, yeah. but, you know, like, he could see what they were trying to do. They were actually developing something. And, you know, they spiked. So, yeah, it's definitely not all about the young players. And, I think, in general, we do give these teams a bit too much leeway, but sometimes it is hard to see the development until they actually do sort of cross that threshold. Yeah, and, and you want to give them that time. You want to give them at least a season or two to, especially if they're coming from a long way back, to, to develop that kind of, you know, that that product, I guess. But um, the comments like what David Noble said a few weeks ago and how they're not chasing wins, they're chasing process and that, like, I like all of that stuff. It sounds really good in theory, but we know that in the world that we're living in right now, that's not enough. Yeah. That's you know, that's not going to sell it to the sell hope to the fans. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a really interesting one. Let's move on to the next one. Collingwood are in dire need of a change to their game plan. True or false? True. That's <laughs> right off the bat. True. Um, this game plan has evolved into something like a, just a completely different creature altogether, and it's it's junk. That's all I can say. It is junk. We just spoke about how you've got to sell a bit of hope for the fans. There's still a long way of the season to go. You know, uh, Collingwood will be taking on Adelaide in Adelaide uh, this weekend, and, you know, it, it, there's a lot of football to be played. There's a lot to salvage out of a season like this, even when you are down the, uh, the bottom end of the ladder. And there's a lot of, you know, things you can try out, things the coach can implement. And this just isn't going to bring the fans through the gates. I mean, Collingwood fans will probably turn up anyway, but this is just not selling a good future for that club. And, well, sorry, I'll go into the style a little bit. You know, obviously it's that slow ball movement, kicking sideways. Um, Last week against Geelong, that last quarter where they kicked, what, four goals, that really flattered them. They had one goal to three-quarter time. 
I heard Jonathan Brown at one point saying it was the worst ball movement he'd ever seen in <laughs> AFL. Uh, then you've got the off-field stuff. You've got the Buckley issue. You've got the board that just seems to be sorting issues out. Um, and every week you're hearing about whether... What's his name again? Is it Jeff Brown or something? Or, uh, he might mm, be president yep. instead of quarter. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I, look... I understand that they want to get some structure in. Buckley wants to drill some structure in, but it's having an effect on their players as well. Their players are now thinking system first, and they're, um, you know, there was a moment last week where Dacos was, after about five passes in the uh, defensive 50, he ignored a guy on his own through the middle to go sideways. And uh, Scotty Pendlebury is playing some of the worst football of his career, I reckon, in the last few weeks. <laughs> I mean, it's having a bad effect on these players, and... Yeah, I, I just think that this is where the game plan, you just know it's not going to work. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It does seem like something has to change. And if it's not going to be Buckley being replaced as coach, I'm not sure what's going to change it around. Not saying that he's not a good coach and hasn't been good for them, but it's just hard to see how it's actually going to change around without some sort of big move. Yeah. It's it's one of those things, I guess, where the one thing I will say about this game style that he's got happening now, it's keeping him in games and it's not getting him blown out. But there comes a point where the fans, you, you, know, you probably have to ask Hollywood fans this, what would you prefer? Would you prefer to be in games, even though if it's ugly and not very watchable? Would you prefer to still be in the game and lose by 10 points to Geelong, even though it wasn't really a, a very good game at all or would you rather see them try and implement more of a fast ball movement slightly higher risk style but run the risk of getting blown out so it really comes down to which way they want to go it's a tough decision and i wouldn't want to make it well you know we've got pretty good experience of this when melbourne was way down the bottom oh, yeah like oh, i yeah. can't think of anything worse than melbourne just trying to play conservatively but like they're not going well your team's not going well, and all they're doing is going to self-preservation. That's like the last thing you want them to do. Well, yeah, it, it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't develop anything. It doesn't really instill that much confidence. And, yeah, it's a very... It's a scared way of playing. Yeah. All right, let's move scared on. Scared way of playing. Essendon's progress this year vindicates their choice of coaching setup in 2020. So, obviously, this was referencing uh, having... Westfold still in the main job and uh, Rutten as his successor uh, as what senior assistant. So, yeah, true or false? Uh, I'm going to go false on this one. I actually think that that just delayed their progress by about a year. <laughs> um, maybe not entirely, but I, I think that that was a little bit of a sideshow after a while. Um, it was obvious that Westfold wasn't going to be there. Rutten could have gotten in there and really started getting his hands dirty a bit earlier. Um not saying it was a bad thing to do, but I, I don't know if it vindicates that decision. Um, yeah, look, it's great to see what they're doing now, but yeah. It's a hard one. I'm not sure. It's a tough It is not as easy as it sounds, but yeah. I'll probably go false as well. Like, It's impossible to know whether they get the response they got this year without last year, but living through yeah. that last year, even as a neutral supporter, it was pretty horrid for Essendon. Yeah. I can only imagine what it was like for Essendon fans. There was so little hope, and then you had the whispers of the players wanting to leave, and just the 
the whole mixed messaging coming out of the coach's box through the whole year did yeah, seem to be Yeah, it was a bad look. Him. Yeah. It was a bad look. So I guess maybe there's something to be learned from that. If you are going to move in that direction, maybe it is just better to cut the cord a little bit sooner and give the successor a little bit more uh, free reign. You know, you can still have some sort of assistance for them, but to not have that successor in the main role, as you were saying, I think it is just sort of holding everything back. It, it just seemed like, even if Wusha was going to be there for the first half of the year or something, I think when it got to the halfway point, I think they were in need of a change. And I just don't think it would have hurt if they gave Rutten the, the reins at that point. Interesting. All right, yeah. and now for our 90s flashback. North Melbourne winning two premierships during the 90s was unders for this great team. True or false? <laughs> it's, it's actually it's a tough one. But uh, I'm going to say true. I Whoa, think okay, that probably... play it on me. I've, I've got my own theory about this, so I'm keen to hear yours. Yes, I think... So the question was underachieving, wasn't it? Did they underachieve? Yeah, I think true. Um, they got a good return. They definitely got a good return. I think for... What was it? I'm going completely off my memory here, but I think from about 1994 up until 2000, they made the prelim, preliminary final every year. And they got two premierships as a return. It's it's nothing to sneeze at. But they did have probably one of the best players that's ever played the game, who dominated the game's hardest position, and a very good cast around him, uh, and a very good coach. I think that they probably should have had three premierships in that period. Interesting. And I think the 98 one's the one that got away. Yeah. I was probably thinking along similar lines to you initially, Johnny, but... Thinking yeah. about it a little bit more in depth, I'm actually going to go false here. I agree with you that they probably should have won in 98. They kicked themselves out of that game against Adelaide and they were the dominant team that year. So to me, the ones they really should have won were 96, which they did win, yep. and 98, which they didn't win. So they kind of got a bit of a consolation in 99, which is a year that they probably... I don't actually think they should have won that one. Uh, and there's one very simple reason for that. And I, I think you can probably guess what I'm about to say. But it's the prelim final, the other prelim final, famous prelim final between Carlson and Essendon. And Carlson find a way to knock off the extremely favoured Essendon team. And this is the Essendon team that goes on to become, you know, one of the most dominant single-season teams in a season in that 2000 season and they were very very good in 1999 as well so really if not for that kind of freak event of Carlton knocking Essendon out in that prelim I think Essendon probably win that extra premiership even if North Melbourne are in the road there so it's almost to me I wouldn't I wouldn't say lucky but it's a bit of a you know they get that one back for you know, 98, which they really should have won, and maybe 99, there was just, you know, a slice of luck involved in not having to face Essendon at least. I think that's probably fair. And sometimes you do forget, actually, 99 really wasn't meant to be their year, in a way. It was definitely far and away Essendon, the best team of the year. Um, Yeah, I, I guess when you look at it that way, I mean... <laughs> 
it's hard to say a team underachieved when they finished top four for that many years in a row. That's that's pretty good success, I guess. Um, but there is, like, there's a few ways of looking at this now. That as you met, were talking, were saying um, your point just now, that '97 one they didn't finish the season, but I think they finished seventh that year. But they did go on a really good run in the finals. I think they knocked off Geelong in the first week. Can't remember who they played the next week, but they won that one. They made the preliminary final against St Kilda, mm. but they were missing Glenn Archer and Wayne Schwoss from suspension. I wonder if they if those two were playing, if that result might have been slightly different. Maybe, uh, yeah. Thinks, they would have had to yeah, play Yeah, it's one of those things, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things. But um, I've got, I got one other question for you. Okay. Um, who is more successful in that period, North or Essendon, or Pagan or Sheedy? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I guess with Essendon you're bringing in 2000 or just in the 90s? Ooh, uh, we'll bring in 2000, why not? I think I've still got to go for North Melbourne. Yeah, just that sustained brilliance. They had that was more than a core of players. It was probably half a team who were just, you know, bloody good players in their position and they were always hard to beat making that many prelims in a row and, you know, carries icing on the cake. So I'd, I'd give the nod to North there. What about you? Yeah, no, they were a hot shot team through that period uh, and very hard to play against. Uh, I think I would have to give the edge to North as well. Been an interesting one for North fans, actually, whether they felt like two was enough for that that many prelims, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of footy fans are going to look at this differently. There might be ones that only exist to win premierships, but then there's ones that are happy to be consistently making finals, whether they win them or not. Um, they probably Everyone wants to win, but I think um, everyone's got different satisfaction levels. For sure. Well, thanks for joining us for the first epi- episode of uh, It's Really Footy Time, and thanks to you as well, Johnny, for those interesting insights there. Yeah, no worries. It really is footy time. (laughs) Hopefully your team wins and uh, you have a bit of a chance to watch a few games. So enjoy the round and uh, make sure to tune in for the regular show uh, on Tuesday next week. So we'll say bye for now.